Peace to you. Welcome to The Naked Truth and thank you for joining me. Let's pick up where we left off in the book of Isaiah. We've made it to chapter 28. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valleys, to those who are overcome with wine. So, to figure out where we're at. Isaiah, that's who the book is, that's who the prophet is delivering the message. It needs to be from God to the people. The message is the prophecy. And it's referring to, in this case, the tribe, people of Ephraim, and also the city, Jerusalem, that still exists. Um, but it sounds like it's a bad omen for them. It's saying woe to them, so that means feel sorry for you. Um, and it's referring to apparently rampant alcoholism where people are just uh, bent on boozing, sort of like just before the era of prohibition in the United States. Verse 2, behold the Lord, at least that's what comes to mind to me. Verse 2, behold the Lord has a mighty and strong one, like a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, like a flood of mighty waters overflowing, who will bring them to the earth with his hand. So here the prophecy, interesting, let's take it bit by bit. It says, uh, Isaiah is saying the Lord has a strong one. Um, and the one is lowercase. But then when you um, when we get to the end of the, that verse, it says, who will bring them down with his hand. So it sounds like the one that's being referred to is a person, not necessarily a force. Um, it says that the one is like a flood of mighty waters and overflowing. So the force that's being prophesied of, it seems to me, it's a powerful one, but it's a person. Um, and it's capital H, his, so it sounds like it's a reference to me, to Jesus. Verse 3, the crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim will be trampled underfoot. So it seems that in the prophecy, the uh, pride and apparently drunkenness of the um, tribe of Ephraim is going to be uh, uh, have be related to a prophecy of Jesus. Verse 4. Why that particular tribe? I don't know. Um, verse 4. And the glorious beauty is a, a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valley, like the first fruit before the summer, which an observer sees he eats it up while it is still in his hand. So it seems that the prophecy is comparing uh, Jerusalem to a verdant valley, meaning it's lush, it's green, it's plentiful, um, and has apparently a fruit in it, a very luscious, delicious fruit that are so scrumptious as soon as you pluck them, you eat them. But it sounds like in that sense, the um, omen to the city, the prophecy for Ephraim and Jerusalem is that I guess conquerors will look on them and see them as ripe for the picking. Verse 5 In that day, the Lord of hosts will be for a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. Um, so Isaiah is saying, it's my understanding of it is that when this prophecy comes true, and I think it's already come true, it's a prophecy, one of the prophecies that he's given or in, in the Bible that have already come true, and they came true in the biblical times, so there's documentation of them. Um, 
uh, but it's saying here from my understanding that um when that prophecy comes true that um it seems to me it's gonna it's applying again to Jesus and that that's when he'll be crowned so maybe it's a prophecy to the first coming um again because these um Ephraim and uh Jerusalem oh Jerusalem in particular is a, has experienced lots of different battles like historically and even in the modern time so it's yeah that kind of prophecy would be finding easy to pin uh to pin on to different periods verse six for a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment and for strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate so if i understand it it sounds like the strength and power that's like a storm like a flood that's being attributed to the one that was referred to earlier it does apply to Jesus, and it's it's saying here in this prophecy, I think in this verse, that um, the power that will be attributed to him is the fact that his red letters would be for that justice, would be for use for judgment, so that we'll be able to truly understand uh, what righteousness is. Uh, verse 7, but they also have erred through wine and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They're swallowed up by wine. They're out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. So it seems that the drunkenness has overtaken even the church of the religious leaders. Um, it's kind of amazing. I guess it's not that amazing because in ancient times, water sources were not um, safe to drink. So people generally drank booze, wine, or imagine fruit drinks um, if they had them. Um, so I could see how people as societies would just be drunk. Not to mention that you can use it medicinally and so forth. And only until, like I said, prohibition in America did it even sort of get stigmatized and, um, and you know, limitations on the age and so forth, regulations and whatnot. There's also a business part of that too, as far as the age, alcohol, but tobacco and guns. There's that element of it where, um, but in Europe, for instance, teenagers um, uh, drink, uh, you know, booze. And if you look back in time in American history, it wasn't that long ago where there was the drinking age. wasn't what it is now. But here, back to where we're at, verse 8. For all tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. So clearly the drinking is out of control as a society if there's just that kind of filth everywhere from people just being drunken. Verse 9. Whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk. <laughs> those just draw from the breast so it seems like Sam is saying that since even the people in the pulpit are drunken and overcome with wine who in the world could they possibly teach the little babies the newborns those that were just off the breast it's it's not good verse 10 for precept must be upon precept precept upon precept line upon line line upon line here little there little to me, the modern equivalent of that is chapter by chapter, verse by verse, 
passage by passage so that you really get an understanding of what's trying to be said, not just grabbing one thought or one word and saying, oh, that's Christianity. And it turns out it's not even something Jesus said, but it's in the Bible. It's a slippery slope of deception, I believe. Verse 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people. So apparently it is talking about literal uh, drunkenness, that even the priests, the preachers, the pulpit, all were taken with booze, with alcoholism, so that the point, to the point that they aren't even able to speak clearly. They're stammering and, and babbling and saying with another tongue, booze is called spirits for a reason. Because you can tap into spirits if you drink enough of them. Verse 12, to whom he said, this is the rest with which he may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. So um, it's, I think that verse is saying that how in the world can people understand that this is the way to God, to righteousness, to heaven? Uh, when you're drunken and can't get a clear thought across to them. Verse 13. Wait, did we miss something there? To whom he said, this is the rest which you may cause. Wait, to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. Okay, yeah, so that heaven, that rest that people are looking for. And this is the refreshing. So yeah, that that's what people that's what the pulpit's supposed to be for, to lead people to that eternal rest. But not just in the hereafter, but even now, to find peace as we walk through life. And then the last of that verse is yet they would not hear. So even the preachers don't want to hear it, they want to keep it in the bottle. And we know now that's a sickness. It's not something people if you end up falling into it, it's not easy to control. Verse thirteen. And the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snare and caught. So it seems from that verse that it wasn't, it was so, it was, it was tedious to the people and it got to the point where they didn't want to be bothered with it. So they fell in the backsliding and turned out to be a trap to them and a trap they got caught in but it, it again it goes back to what's happening in the pulpit the fact that the people in the pulpit aren't preaching a righteous message to the flock verse 14 therefore hear the word of the lord you scornful men who rule his people who are in jerusalem so this is referring again specifically to jerusalem not just to ephraim as was mentioned before and again Who's it referring to? The rulers, the people who are in charge and calling them scornful. Verse 15, because you've said, we've made a covenant. Oh, so I have to be careful how I read this one. Let me see. Let me see. Because you've said, have made a covenant with death and with Sheol are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us, for we've made lies or have made hmm, have made lies refuge and under falsehood have hidden. 
Okay, so I know that sounded kind of butchered, so let's just take it bit by bit. I'm not going to read it as it says out loud. What it's saying, let's take the first part. Isaiah is saying what people are telling themselves when it comes to uh, what they're facing is they aren't worried about it. They've made a covenant with death, so they don't care if they die. And with Sheol, they don't care if they go to hell. <laughs> it's kind of bold. When the overflowing scourge passes through, this thing so if sickness, say COVID, passes through, it will not come to us. They're not worried about that either. So they're, they're saying they don't give enough. It will not come to them. They're saying they've made lies their refuge. They don't care what you have to say about heaven. They don't have care what you have to say about hell. They don't have care what you say I've got to say about life or death. They don't care. They say they're completely wrapped up in lies. And that's what's making them comfortable. And under falsehood have hidden themselves. Sounds kind of terrible. But again, it sounds like modern times. But apparently what's happening now is nothing new. People have done it before. Verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. So, again, this sounds to me to be a reference to Jesus, a way of God saying, I'm sending something sure, something certain, something that you won't be able to deny, although they did. <laughs> you won't be able to deny it as the truth because you know how I feel about red letter Christianity. I think that's what is being said by verse 16 that God is sending Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. Verse 16 also, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet. The hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters will overflow the hiding place. So now it seems to have gone from a physical sense to a spiritual sense, the prophecy, saying that justice um, will be what's going to be used and righteousness um, as the um, standard. But then it goes into, that was the spiritual part, but then it seems that it's talking about a physical part where hell will sweep away the refuge of lies. So I guess the trust and the fact that they don't care about hell, heaven, death, any of that stuff, something will come along and still be able to reach them and touch them and saying hell is what's going to do it, is what's going to sweep away the lies. What they're trusting in is going to be swept away by hell. So I'm not sure how, I'm, I think what it's saying is physical forces. God will use the environment. God will use um nature against the people who refuse to be moved by anything else and in that sense i guess if you apply it to modern times and not ancient times and it just said it seems things old aren't um, things new aren't so new sometimes they've been done before so if you apply them to modern times it would be saying that it would be like saying the, the way to reach maga the people and people like them who believe Things that happened to George Floyd aren't real. Things that happened to black people in general in America and in American history aren't real. The thing that will reach them, it seems, will be nature itself. Um, and 
listened to saying hail in verse 17. In modern terms, it seems to me it would be it would be equivalent would be what we call climate change. That that would be what reaches out and touches people in that sense. Whether you want to believe it's man-made or you want to believe it's seasonal and just part of nature, because you know that's what thumpers will do. They'll lean on Genesis and say, because God said there'll always be uh, when summer and winter and so forth in that verse, that climate change isn't real. Those two ideas aren't mutually exclusive. That verse can still be true. There can still be summer and winter. That doesn't mean we'll be here to enjoy it, that they'll be here to enjoy it. These, the same hail we just read about could be what sweeps away that refuge, that that foundation of lies that people take shelter under. That that can be what sweeps it away. And the waters will overflow the hiding place. So did that same um, bomb shelter that people set up for themselves, those bunkers and those doomsday shelters that people make for themselves thinking, oh, well, I don't have to worry about what's going on with those people with the others because I have this ranch for myself. I have this safety set up for myself. I have this golden parachute for myself. And yet even still, verse 17 seems to be saying even a flood can reach there. And we've seen that with, again, natural disasters like tsunami. Verse 18, your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overflowing scourge passes through, then you will be trampled down by it. So it seems that the prophecy is saying, go ahead and believe that your refuge, your safety is in the fact that you'll don't mind lies, but you'll just go ahead and say, lie to yourself and say that you don't care about heaven or hell. You don't care about life or death. You don't care about truth or lies. Go ahead and keep believing that. And yet something will still reach you is what that verse, it seems to me, is saying that the scourge, the sickness, disease can still reach you. And you see this again and again, even from pulpits, where if you just look back not that long ago, lots of preachers were out there uh, talking about a scourge, talking about a disease, and saying how the people who get it are worthy of it, and it's or, or that it's a lie, and that um, not willing to uh, put any sort of governmental funds toward it to help those suffering from it. I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about HIV. It's history repeating itself because people are too stupid, frankly, to learn from it. The first time uh, they suffered from the effects of doing it the wrong way. And it's the same thing, a scourge passing through and it trampling the people down who refused to embrace the truth and chose to take shelter under lies. Verse 19. As often as it goes out, it will take you. For from morning by morning, it will pass over, and by day and by night, it will be a terror just to understand the report. So it seems the scourge is going to run rampant. And I don't know if you've noticed it because news reports have basically stopped talking about it for the most part. But COVID is surging. It's last, I saw a report, I don't know if it was true or not, and don't quote me, you can search it yourself. I saw a report saying it's higher now than it was at the peak of the pandemic. So thank God, at least there's treatment for it now and vaccines and whatnot. But just like we were talking about when it started, the goal, it seemed to me from the start was, especially by the ignorant MAGA that takes refuge under lies, 
is to let it spread until it is completely saturated the population. You don't have to believe me if you've been reading with me. And a couple of you have. God bless you. Um, you know that I'm not, I'm not lying. That's what I said. That that seemed to be their goal to let the disease go completely through the population until we have what they call herd immunity. And here it is, three years, four years later, we're there. Are getting there. Verse um, 20. For the bed is too short to stretch out on and the covering so narrow that one cannot wrap himself in it. So the situation is bad by verse 20. It's saying that you can't get comfortable no matter how hard you try. You may try to cover yourself and take refuge with a sheet, but it turns out it won't even cover your feet and your chest at the same time, so you have to choose. And then if you do that, it won't cover your left side and your right side at the same time. So you're not going to find any comfort, any more refuge in anything. The refuge of lies are gone. Verse 21, for the Lord will rise up as at Mount Perizim. He will be angry as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his awesome work. And bring to pass his act, his unusual act. So when it's talking about Mount Perizim, the word Perizim, if I remember right, one of the loose interpretations of it is breach. And it refers to when one of the, um, it refers, refers to a couple of different times when there was a breach birth, basically, where um, one child was about to be born, but another one burst through instead, or something like that when we were earlier. But here, what it's talking about Mount Perizim, it's talking about another instance where it seemed the people were able to do something that elicited a physical response from God. But again, we read over that. It's the Gibeon thing. It was one of the, it was sort of, if I remember right, and it's the sort of Sodom and Gomorrah 2.0, where there was a preacher who had a wife. He turned out to be one real piece of work where instead of him being attacked, he threw his old lady out and let the gang that was going to gang rape him instead abuse gang rape and kill her, basically, or at least abuse her so to the point that she crawled back home and died on her doorsteps. And the best, her wonderful Prince Charming of a husband, he's no Prince Charming, her wonderful husband could do. And he wasn't even her husband. She was his side piece. She was his concubine, so she wasn't legally married to him. The best he could do for her, though, was step over her and tell her to get up so they could go in the morning after she was gang raped. I'm not making it up. We read it. You can look back. It's in the Bible. And these ridiculous anti-woke clowns thump their Bibles and oppose all sorts of things and overlook what's right here under their nose in this Bible they thought. Verse 22, now, therefore, do not be mockers, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard from the Lord God of hosts, destruction determined, even upon the whole earth. Some of that prophecy clearly has not come true. So it could apply to modern times, not just the ancient defeats that were uh, occurred, like even in biblical times. Um, so it's that, that verse 22 is saying, don't be a fool. Don't mock it. You don't have to believe it, uh, but uh, doubt it if you want to. 
Verse 23, give ear and hear my voice, listen and hear my speech. So now Isaiah is saying, if you have ears to hear, as Jesus was saying, he was ears to hear, let him hear, listen up. Verse 24, does the plowman keep plowing all day to sow? Does he keep turning the soil and breaking the clods? So it seems to me, I'm no farmer, but what um, is being said is, you're going to till the land, and then you're going to sow the seeds. You're not just going to keep tilling all day long, I think, is what's being said. Verse 25, when he's leveled its surface, does he not sow the black cumin and scatter the cumin, plant the wheat in rows, the barley in, a, in the appointed place, and spelt in its place? So yeah, it seems to be saying that you aren't just going to keep rehashing the same thing again and again and again. At some point, aren't you going to learn from your mistake? Are you going to just let history keep repeating itself? No. A farmer's going to clear out the rows, break up the ground, and then going to move ahead, plant the seed. You're not just going to keep repeating the same mistakes if you got good sense in your head. At least that seems to be what's being said to me. Verse 26, for he instructs him in right judgment. His God teaches him. Um, Isaiah there seems to be saying that God even instructs um the farmer to know to how to proceed with um, planting and agriculture. Verse 27, for the black cumin is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over the cumin, but the black cumin is beaten out with a, with a stick and the cumin with a rod. So I'm no farmer, but I do cook a little. And I know cumin are those little seeds, so of course you wouldn't want to roll over them, otherwise you're going to crush them and have cumin powder. So it seems to me that he's saying in verse 27 that there's a proper process and order to everything, to how you want to do it. So why not learn from it? Verse 28, bread flour must be ground. Therefore, he does not thresh it forever, break it with his cartwheel or thresh it with his horseman. So, yeah, so if you want to have flour to bake with, you have to break up the wheat and get it to that point. So you don't want to just be rolling over it with your cartwheel as you go through the fields because you're destroying it. Your, your flour is going right back in, right into the ground instead of to your oven. Verse 29, this also comes from the Lord of hosts, who's wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. So um, Isaiah is saying there, the knowledge of how to proceed sensibly, whether in life or whether in agriculture, in your garden, or in life, it's coming from God. So just accept it. Don't be a fool and scoff and doubt it. Verse 29 was the last verse in this chapter. So that's where we'll end this section of reading. And move on to our red letter section. Red letter, and it's our passage of the day. It's coming from John 6.63. It's the Gospel Book of John, fourth one in the New Testament, fourth book in the New Testament, chapter 6, verse 63, and it's our 26th passage of the day, if I'm counting right. And it reads, It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. So um, that passage is one of my, one I meditate on, uh, one of my daily meditations, um, because it's, it's one of the few that talks about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's capital S, so that just lets us know it's not talking about our own spirit, our own lamps. It's talking about God's lamp, God's Holy Spirit. 
and um, how God's Holy Spirit is who gives us life. And that our flesh, the things we do with our body, no matter how fit we want to get, like want to get muscular, how much plastic surgery you want to get to get beautiful, no matter how uh, fat you want to get because you want to be slothful and don't give an F, no matter what you do with your body, it's not going to profit your spirit, your soul. Um, the words that I speak to your spirit and their life, that lets us know that's the value of these red letters. That's what we're to focus on. Not everything in the Bible, the red letters, because these are the words Jesus spoke. And those, if we want life, if we're seeking life, that's our way to them. The words that Jesus speaks to us are spirit. So they feed that part of us and they are life. So they are that way to eternal life. At least that's my understanding of it. And that's how I, one of the ways I focus on that as our, as my passage of the day. Love you. Thank you for reading along with me. I hope the naked truth is a blessing for you. That you'll join me again. Peace be with you. One last, one last thing. Um, just so you understand, I don't mean uh, any offense to anyone, MAGA, or anyone otherwise. Um, my the only point of or I my point of mentioning, uh, understanding my understanding of what we just read about um, stubbornness and refuge of lies is that there are people who are going around now. You can do a quick search and see it. There are people who are walking around and believe that George Floyd wasn't actually murdered, even though we witnessed it. There's people who believe that uh, January 6th was taken, uh, was uh, the people who committed January 6th are uh, hostages, political hostages, and yet they also believe that it was Antifa that did it. So there's no consistency in the lies that they, in the lies and things they say they believe. And uh, they believe someone who said he'd build a wall and make Mexico pay for it. He didn't. He said he'd um, uh, have better, cheaper health care for everyone uh, than Obamacare because Obama's black, of course. He didn't say that part out loud, at least not in front of the microphone, but he didn't do that either. Uh, it's lie after lie after lie. He didn't bring back manufacturing, uh, but he, he's not alone either. If you look, we have... Um, at least four politicians in, a, in the state of Florida who, at least by all the reports and even by the previous president's reports, are downright scandalous. Whether they're child molesters or human traffickers or Medicare robbers or the previous president, they're all right, in, right here in Florida and all getting away with crimes, getting away with delaying crimes that were committed in our face. The Florida uh, citizens were basically pickpocketed to pay for people to be human trafficked from the border to other states, according to our previous president, paraphrase. We've seen the previous president's crimes, or at least alleged crimes. It just seems that I know that these things, if they were done by someone black, they would have been imprisoned yesterday. They wouldn't be out being able to run for president and uh, still vilify other people and say, hey, look over there and point your finger at the Rainbow Coalition. It just, it's just so sick. And hopefully, if this prophecy read about um, comes true, that refuge of lies applies to them. 
so that it can be swept away so that at some point people will be forced to face uh, music when it comes to the hypocrisy. It's just sick. Love you. Peace be with you. And it's just my opinion that you don't do do people a favor when you indulge their hypocrisy. If you tell if you get people to believe that they believe in small government, then give it to them. Don't let them just keep saying they believe in a small government, but still get Social Security, still get food stamps, still get uh, veterans benefits, still get anything. They shouldn't be allowed to get anything from the government. If that's what they really say they believe, you shouldn't be allowed to do any of that stuff, whether you're a human, a regular person, a citizen or corporation. You shouldn't be allowed to do that. You shouldn't be allowed to indulge in hypocrisy and then do it with a camera rolling from the, as a politician and still get away with it. America should give people what they want, what they say they want. You say you want smaller government. That's what you should get. But if you're somebody who needs government, you should also get it. It just doesn't make sense for people to keep going for the okie doke when they're the ones suffering from it. It's crazy. Anyway, sorry. Stay safe. Love you. Peace be with you.